My great pleasure today to sit in the living room of Mr. Tom Carty, former Regi student and teacher uh, and neighbor of mine in what is the second of what I hope to be many podcasts regarding Regi and its Regiopolis Notre Dame and its history. Uh, I've always talked about Mr. Carty as a Regi alumni, and I think in the truest sense of the word he is, but maybe in the dictionary definition he's not. Um, he would have gone to Regi but have gone away to do some of his high school, and uh, maybe I'll just turn it over to Tom to talk about that a little bit. You're, you're absolutely right, Pat. I'm not a Regi graduate. I've actually called myself that without thinking, but I'm not. I, I, uh, I came to Regi in 1955, and, and at the time, my first day in grade 9 at Regi, I was 12 years old. Because back in the 1948 when I started, there was no kindergarten. You just went bang right into, uh, uh, you started grade 1. And I started grade 1, and my birthday's in September, so I was 5 when I started. And for whatever reason, the school decided I could skip grade 4, and so my first day in Regi as a student, I was 12 years old. Now I soon, within a matter of days, became 13. But I was really immature, like most 13-year-olds are. Uh, I wouldn't have, you know, admitted to that at the time. But anyway, I started. I did fine in grade nine, but in grade 10, grade 10 was an absolute disaster for me. And so. Uh, well, to give you an example of disaster, and I used to entertain my students, especially, and, and all those boys that I had all those years that I taught, and I imagine some girls too, who weren't, you know, shining students. Well, I used to say to them, there's, there, you know, you, you can overcome a less than stellar high school career. And so I would cite my own. And so in math that year, this is hard to believe. In those days, they gave you what you earned. There was no uh, 40s, the lowest you can get, or whatever the, the bottom line is now. In those days, the bottom line was, if you didn't know anything, you might get zero. Well, I actually got, and this is not, and the kids used to enjoy this immensely. In grade 10 math, in geometry, my mark was three, <laughs> and my mark in algebra was nine. So my math average my first year of grade 10 was six. <laughs> and as my mother said when she was told the results of my, that year, she said, you know, we could have sent Cindy, which was the family dog, to school, and I'm sure Cindy would have done just as well. So the kids love that story. And uh, one of the reasons, and I think the reason was, I had a, 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 well, among other things, immaturity and everything else, was I had been prescribed glasses. I was terribly nearsighted. But being, you know, raised in the John Wayne era, I hated to wear glasses. That sounds, that seemed to me at my, in my dim 14-year-old mind at the time, something I just didn't want to have happened. So I went to school and I was trying to learn geometry and algebra when the teacher was putting on, you know, 
the solutions to problems. I was trying to do it on audio only, which is darn near impossible kind of thing. But anyway, Father Bellier, who was my home form teacher, phoned my mother and said, you know, um, I know it's Tom Class, he does some awful squinting. Have you ever considered getting his eyes checked? And my mother said, well, he has glasses. And he said, well, I've never seen him wearing them. <laughs> so that was, that was part of the deal. And so, uh, yeah, so, so I failed grade 10. I, and Father Bellier suggested, given my age and my, all those issues, that I repeat all of grade 10. So I repeated grade 10, even though I failed uh, math. And I think I was given French in grade 10. I was given 52 on the condition that I never take French again. <laughs> so uh, I, told, I used to tell the students that as well. So there I was. Anyway, I was at Rigi four years. And when I left Rigi after four years, I had grade 11 was all I had. And then I went to, to play junior A hockey in Peterborough, and I went to grade 12 was where I went into grade 12. And here was the interesting thing. I went to grade 12 and I got grade 12. Grade 13, we used to, because of our departmentals, and hockey took such a large part of your day and time and certainly all your interest, uh, often we would take grade 13 in two years. I took four subjects one year and five the next. So when it got all said and done, my high school career, this is hard to imagine, I took high school for seven years. <laughs> I was probably an old man when I left. Um, and of course the students loved this. And then at the end of my grade uh, 13, my average wouldn't get me into any educational institution in the known world at the time. <laughs> but I said, I used to say this to many a, many a student, the key to salvation for me was the, the chance at 21 to take a course, and if you pass that course, you would have entrance into the university as if you had whatever average was required. So that's what I did, and, and the odd thing, here's the story, here's the kicker. I took math first year, and math was a combination of geometry, trig, uh, algebra, the first math course I took, and I, I, my mark at that was 89. I remember that. That's the same guy who got three and nine in grade 10. So I was, and I often like to tell that story because uh, you probably, well, you've taught long enough to know. Boys are generally, especially, I don't know if it's any different today or not, but in my day, boys were noticeably less mature than the girls. Certainly, we were we were all trying to be you know little John Waynes or something, and we weren't disposed to, to education. You know the old saying, "Education's wasted on youth." Yeah. Well, that certainly applied to me. Yeah. And I think it does to a lot of boys. And you like to say to them, you know, and you, and you like to. I I, I firmly believe this uh, that that there's intelligence at all sorts of different things. So. I would have a boy who wasn't necessarily a great academic student, but was going to wind up, you know, a great mechanic or a great carpenter or a great something. And I taught a lot of students 
like that. Boys, particularly, and, and I know some girls too, who, who were not great students, but who could, in the end, uh, be, you know, terrific citizens and be uh, good parents and good everything else. So I was always aware of that, because neither one of my parents had a great deal of education at the time. So, so you know, I didn't overrate education. I, I believe it's valuable. Why would I waste my time doing it? I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was really valuable, but, but not necessarily for, you know, the... Uh, usual reasons so that took longer than that i'm sure than you wanted but. no 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 that's great you know and i i mean i just to chime in a bit i i would agree that or maybe not agree but maybe just add on to that that um the system such as it was and maybe such as it is um put so much value on guiding kids towards university education that those other forms of intelligences or forms of intelligence often were ignored or neglected for for the kids who weren't directed on that track, who in many ways were smart as smart as uh, as intellectually gifted as those kids that were going on to university, just in different ways and, and who needed a different path. Like that's one thing that I was as I got older and and uh, into my career more was understanding more and more about about different forms of intelligence and uh, and how difficult it must be for kids going into high school uh, when the focus is, seems to be so much on the university pathway and the other seems to be a lesser way like we we did a terrible job of of equalizing or making those other pathways important um, or recognizing their importance i don't know if you'd agree with that or not yeah, I'm sold. I'm sold on that as uh, as an idea. And I, I uh, and, and I look back, you know, and I think of the the students that I taught over the years that made a huge contribution in the community. Uh, a lot of them were not, uh, you know, bound for Queens or anywhere like that. But they were they were terrific uh, people, and they were smart about things. I'll give an example, Don Peterson, who, I don't think Don Peterson got out of grade 10 at Ricci. And when I went to Ricci, Don Peterson was there. And he was, he was um, quite a bit older than I was at the time. <laughs> and uh, uh, I mean, who, who's done more for uh, a certain young people than Don Peterson uh, in this community? And, and, uh, and all sorts of uh, kids I taught that, uh, you know, uh, made contributions in the community and made a very good living without going to university and are and are smart about a lot of things. Yeah, like, so so I yeah I I uh, I share that with you. I think that's a who who knew people better than Don Peterson. Uh, very few. Yeah, I don't think anyone understands. No one that I've known has known yeah. potential recognizes potential in kids and understands how to pull it out. Uh, understood how to pull it out of them better than Pete. Uh, and, and Pete had his, like all good teachers, Pete had had over the years all sorts of people that were. Well, he used to. They used to say I was uh, one of Pluard's apostles when I was a priest. That was meant, I think, as a as a you know somewhat of a criticism, but I always <laughs> took it as praise that we 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 had sort of admired him. Father Bellew was another. I admired Father Bellew 
as much as anyone I ever met and uh, wanted to be like him. And uh, if I, if my teaching style resembled anybody's, it was Father Bell. Yeah. Uh, he taught the same way that I did, you know. So you, uh, just to back up here, so you finish up with the Peets and you follow the hockey path for a while and then... Uh, yeah, I played for the Peets for three years and then I went, I was in uh, Omaha one year at a foreign team of the Montreal Canadiens and I realized then that, uh, you know, I was never going to play in the National Hockey League at the time, it was a 16 league and... Uh, well, in fact, I went there and I, uh, to the uh, Montreal Canadiens training camp, and I think they had something like 22 centers there, and I was a center in Peterborough. And I looked around and I tried to be, you know, reasonable and so on, but I could see I was better maybe than two of the 22. <laughs> so on the depth chart of uh, Montreal Canadiens centers, I was somewhere way down the list. And so I thought, oh my God, I'll never see the light of day. And when I got to Omaha too, there, there were terrific players on that team that were gonna go on and a number of them did play in the NHL. But I wasn't gonna be one of them. I, I was, you know, maybe an honest player and, and worked hard and all that, but I wasn't as gifted as some of these people were. So it was then I decided, uh, well, what else could I do and uh, I didn't have a whole lot of work experience. And so, you know, the old saying, if a person can't, has no skills, well, why not try teaching? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's sort of the way it went for me. I, uh, I ended up going, going to uh, uh, teacher's college in Peterborough. I didn't have a degree. I started teaching in elementary school with a degree and without a degree and got my degree at uh, night school, summer school, that way. Uh, I only went one full year to Queens. And the year I went full year, uh, full time to Queens, I took two courses the summer before it, six during the year, which was the maximum you could take, and two the following year. I took half my degree in one year. And uh, yeah, and, and, and my wife, we, I was married then, was the sole breadwinner at the time, so it was it was economically difficult and and uh, all that. But uh, uh, I I would do it if given a chance. I you know or a choice. I'd probably do it the same way again. I thought there was a lot. I learned a lot from from all of that. So you start out in elementary school then. Yes. And. Um... And then you go to high school, go, come back to Rigi in 1974, 75? Ah, uh, gosh. I, I, the, the date I'm doesn't... Very bad with dates. Mid-70s, I would say. I then. was, uh, well, I was 22 going to teacher's college, and then uh, after that, 23, four years. I was 27, when I think, when I went back to Queens full-time. I was probably 28 when I went back to Rigi, so what would that be? Um, Born in 1942, 1970. So, okay, 1970. All right. About somewhere around there. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to hang my hat on the exact dates, but somewhere in there. Okay. And, uh, you know, and and again, uh, at a teacher's college, I didn't have. You know, I, I was I was given an opportunity that I. Um, well, you know, I appreciated it, and, and I think that's half half of. Half of being successful in life is having gratitude for things 
And I was very grateful for the opportunity to teach, first of all, at Holy Family. And uh, I did four years there, and I really liked the kids, liked the community. To this day, I go to church out there. My wife and I were married in that church, at Holy Family Church. So I have an attachment to that community. And um, the only reason I, I left, I suppose, is uh, the principal at the time, Sister Bernadette Casey, who was just a terrific person, she was removed as principal or transferred or something. And I, I, I was, I didn't want to continue there without her, and to be honest. And so, uh, I, and, I, and I, you know, I'm grateful for a second chance that the school gave me because I had basically quit on them. And uh, uh, it was Mr. Doyle gave me a chance. I had to be interviewed for him to get into Regi to teach at Regi. And, uh, uh, yeah, and, and the issue was never, uh, Ed Zerickney was never an issue for me. I could tell he was, um, he wanted to have me for, for whatever reasons. And the issue was, would the board take me a second time? And, and they did. Just by way of a bit of background, uh, at that time, uh, and I'm not sure when this started, but through the 1970s, uh, Regiopolis Notre Dame would have been under the auspices of two school boards. One of them would have been the district school board, which was known as, uh, what was it called then? Uh, yeah, I can't even remember the name of it, but it was the school board that ran everything basically up until grade 10. And there was public funding for, for those, um, uh, for all schools, all Catholic schools at that time. But grades 11, 12, and 13 were under the auspices of what was called the administrative board. And that was uh, basically it was it was uh, like a private high school or um, in grade 11, 12 and 13 students paid tuition. Uh, the administrative board uh, raised funds to uh, offset tuition costs. And so under the one school, under the one roof at Regiopolis Notre Dame, there were actually two distinct school boards. Um, I think I have most of that right, don't I? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that would have that would have been in place probably until '86 when full funding happened. Right. Yeah. And I taught in that system, and, and uh, um, although I was originally hired by the second school board, and I think early on, the first year or two, I taught mostly nine to ten. Over time, I, of course, I ended up teaching everything. You know, 11, 12, 13, and uh, you're right. It was under a different system, and. Uh, uh, I had, again, I was always astounded that um, the students who were in 11, 12, and 13 uh, were paying. And you sort of felt a tremendous obligation to them to give them the best education you could and an education worthy of, uh, you know, the money they were, they were putting forth. And I know there were families where the kids earn the money themselves part time and put that towards tuition, and uh, and and you can imagine a, a family with uh, three or four kids in the school. I want a family I think of are the Besselinks. They had a yeah, uh, you know, three kids or four kids at a time in the high school, and 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 uh, they were such a huge part of the school <laughs> as as a family, and uh, that. 
how they were able to afford, you know, and it was because the kids worked and put the money into their own education. And so uh, that's probably why. And, and I think that spoke so well of their character, you know. Yeah, I, I think it also it also meant a lot. Like the, the building at that time wasn't a great building. Uh, even the even the new build wasn't that great a building uh, in 1977. But I think there was a greater sense of ownership of the facility itself amongst kids who were paying to go there. Very much. Yeah. One year I was in a class in the old building, and I think it was the number was 101, and the walls were actually discolored and everything else. And, and a number of the kids said, you know, can we do something like that? We'd be willing to paint it. And so I asked around, they were searching, if you want to do that. And so uh, it was over a weekend or winter break or something like that. The kids and I went in there and we painted that classroom. <laughs> uh, and you were saying having a part of it was. And you remember, you would remember this, Pat, when we used to do the skatathons and everything. Yeah. That was to buy. Uh, football equipment, uh, sports equipment, and it was Guy White's idea that we need to have better equipment, and the only way to do it was to raise the money ourselves. And so we got the students involved, and the students used to get sponsors and so on, and, and you know, when, they, when the teams went on the field with the, you know, much improved uniforms after we started that, the kids did have ownership for that yeah. because it was their efforts, their skating, their going up and that 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 uh, paid for those things, you know. Yeah. Um, so you start. I'm sorry, just to back up again. So when you started, you would have been an employee of the Frontenac, Lennox, and Addington separate school board. I just remembered the name of I it. I wouldn't have been able to tell you the name. <laughs> <laughs> So there were teachers within the school. This is this is just a bit of an aside, but teachers within the school who were employees of the administrative board, and then other teachers who were employees of the separate school board. And there was Correct. there was crossover. I know that teachers taught senior subjects and junior subjects, but your paychecks came actually from right. two, from two different. Uh, the paychecks came from two different bodies. Anyway, that's. Uh, that's just an aside. I remember that from uh, from being on the admin board when I was a student. They had a student representative on that. So, um, so you were there um, around nineteen early the early nineteen seventies, if not nineteen seventy, um, and you started teaching. What exactly? I my first assignments were as uh, uh, an English teacher. Uh, that's what my degree was in. Um, that's what I, and, and you know, when I think back, uh, you know, I have some guilt as all starting teachers. I thought what I didn't know <laughs> about, about my subject was frightening. And, uh, or even, you know, I, I was certainly a novice in, in many ways. And uh, how uh, over the years, you, if you're willing to work hard, you can develop so much and, and see what works and what doesn't. And I used to get, I, I had Mr. Pluard come in and teach. Uh, uh, I asked him one time when he came in and helped me with a teach Shakespearean play. And I don't even remember the play, but Mr. Pluard came in and, he, and at the time he was uh, the vice principal or the in charge of discipline or something. He came into my class 
And you could tell he, he had missed being a teacher so badly. I didn't think I was going to get my class back. <laughs> About two weeks later, I said, uh, Mr. Fluard, uh, maybe I should earn my money here. And, uh, uh, hey, you know, that was the case. But I learned a lot watching him. And, um, you know, he went, he went through, as he always said, the first two acts of the play, line by line, and made sure everybody understood what was going on. He was very good at relating whatever the particular conflict in the play was to current events or to our own lives. Eh? Yeah. And, and all of those Shakespearean plays were, had, a, had a real strong moral element to them. And, and I can't imagine my, uh, a Catholic school wanting to ever do away with them. Because they're they're, uh, uh, they're 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 more lessons in in all of them, and there are opportunities to to uh, you know use them as as a <clears throat> some sort of basis for making making points about how one ought to live. Yeah, I, my experience of those who wanted to get rid of Shakespeare um, was that almost to a person. Uh, they didn't understand. They really just didn't understand. And you know, I went to university and took my degree at Queens, which is a very, and had some tremendous teachers. Don't get me wrong, but nobody understood Shakespearean plays better than Mr. Poor. Yeah. And uh, he was the best I had ever seen. Yeah. And uh, uh, a lot of them were a lot of the Jesuits because they saw that they saw the religious element of those plays too. Uh, very clearly, so uh, yeah, and that was that was somewhat missing at uh, at uh, the universe that I thought. Anyway. Yeah, I, I would find it hard to teach that, uh, teach those plays in any other um, venue or any other uh, area except for a Catholic school. People would ask me. Catholic school, do you find it limiting? Like, do you find it hard to teach there? And I said, I find it absolutely liberating. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a basis for everything. There's a reference for everything. If I need an answer to something, I can find it. I'm not left on my own. It, it was, it, it, teaching philosophy was, was uh, wonderful. It was one of my favorite things to teach because uh, I had, I mean, I wasn't great at it, but I had at least the grounding and the... Uh, the ability to look up what Thomas Aquinas said on this, or what the Catechism says Which on is this. Worth it, your time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, just uh, I the first year I taught. Actually, I taught Paul in that first year that I taught at Regi in ninety ninety two. Uh, so sorry, Tom's son Paul Cardi was one of the first classes that I had. I, I picked up a few classes. Um, uh, in late October that year, uh, as a, coming in as a new teacher, and I taught uh, grade twelve law, which I knew nothing about. Uh, I was a paragraph ahead of the kids, and I've I've seen those kids in the last five years or so, and I've made a point of apologizing to every one of them. I saw uh, Tanya Tanya Canarudi coming out of mass uh, around Christmas time. And uh, we had a nice visit, and I said, I have to tell you, I'm doing this to all the kids that I taught. I'm very sorry for, the, for that yeah. first year. Yeah. I had no clue what I was doing. So anyway, but that's, that's the thing about being a new teacher is one of the glories of it is um, you don't know what you don't know. 
you're just you're just exactly. making your way through and well a parallel story for me was uh when uh mrs ripney called me in and said you know i would like you to take a religion class and uh, i said oh okay and all that and uh this was a class and that was in the days when the boys took religion as all boys because it was matched. Every second day it was, those boys took phys ed. And then the next day religion alternated. So, but what had happened is this particular class was pretty rowdy bunch. And they had already gotten rid of two religion teachers. <laughs> uh, and so Mr. Poor, or Ms. Uh, Oh my God. Mr. Zirkney? Mr. Zirkney, sorry. That's all right. He said, you know, what we want, first of all, is crowd control. We can't teach them anything without that. So I went in and I kind of thought, well, how am I going to get around these guys and so on? And the course, the grade 10 course, was always about uh, morality, it was the basis of it. It was a moral, and it was, we were to do the Ten Commandments and teach them thoroughly and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, the first class I went into, I thought, well, here's where my reputation, I suppose, begins. I started talking about playing hockey and all of the, well, how can I say this in a nice way, how, all of the crazy people I had met in hockey, and they, they actually listened to everything I said. And so, uh, and some of them were, well, you know, you were taught to, things that you look back on and sort of say as part of winning hockey games that may not have been, you know, good for your character kind of thing. So, yeah, and, and so that's how I ended up. But then when I had to get down to the serious business of teaching uh, uh, the course, uh, a morality course, I realized how little I actually knew about it. And then I had to go through a book, and, and of course, it, 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 over time, uh, I learned a lot about my own faith. And, uh, you know, and I hope I did a fairly good job of trying to impress upon kids how, how having a moral center is pretty important. Yeah. And the, uh, the best teaching for me always came from um, being current in my learning. Like when I was sort of stayed and, and uh, uh, I don't know, apathetic about learning. I, I was, that was when I think I was least successful as a teacher. Like, I, I, had, I had to refresh. I had to, even if it was books that I'd done forever right. or, or grammar lessons that I'd done forever, I had to refresh and go back and make sure that I knew my stuff. And, uh, and, and that was always the challenge of, one of the challenges of teaching was keeping continuing to learn because I think the most effective teachers are, are you know, enthusiastic learners. Without, without. Uh, I think so. Yeah. You, you end up wanting to, uh, and you're always looking for something that's worth conveying to the students. And of course, since you, you realize and my whole career told me, I didn't know a lot of things. It, it was constant, constant study. And uh, that kind of thing. You know, that's that's how I spend most of my time now. That I'm not even teaching. I'm always trying to read and and learn things, and uh, uh, and and I do. And uh, yeah, education is an ongoing thing, and I think if you can sort of convey that to the students in some way, that's that's good too. 
Um, so just outside of the classroom then, um, what, um, what coaching did you do? Well, over the years, I, holy smokes, I coached uh, basketball. I was not a good basketball coach. <laughs> uh, I coached it when there was a, we had a mid, we, at those days we had three levels of teams, eh? midget, junior, senior, and we didn't have a midget coach. And so I agreed to take it on and coach. And I coached hockey, and I sort of thought it was something the same. And what the heck, you know, there you go. But in every game, I the first year we were, uh, I think it was we were 1 and 11, 1 win, 11 losses. And I know the kids must have said, this guy doesn't know much. We were out coached in almost every game. And then uh, I was telling my brother that, and he said he used to have basketball clinics during the summer uh, in Belleville. And uh, so I went up to uh, my brother's place and I would go and to these clinics and we saw like American college coaches came in. That was a real thing at the time. I think it was even in June before school was out, but <clears throat> I learned so much in a short space of time that, that the next year I was better and in the third year I was better again. But there were still all sorts of people. I never played basketball much, and and so I suppose I think I think there were there were young men coming up through behind me who wanted to coach basketball, and I was willing to have. And they were better coaches than I was. So basketball, I coached football for a number of years. Uh, I coached uh, hockey at Ricci for a number of years. Uh, I coached baseball at Reggie with you after my career. So I coached, yeah, sort of all force. And I coached those sports away from the school, too. Uh, in fact, I one time sat down, and I think I figured it out. I had coached various sports for 57 seasons, good part of my life. And, uh, yeah, so I, I coached in the King's Court League when I was 18 years old. And... Uh, uh, so I had done a lot of coaching. Of course, uh, Don Peterson was the one who got me to come back and coach at, uh, at uh, Church League Hockey. My brother and I coached, they had too many peewee players one year at uh, St. John's. So he had a second team, a B team, and my brother Pat and I coached the B team. He was at the time, I think, uh, 18 and I was maybe 16. Uh, coaching that team and uh, yeah and Pete put it this way you know hey you, you guys have benefited why don't you put back put pay back yeah. and so uh, you know what a terrific opportunity and what a great learning experience it was for both of us and my brother went on to coach uh, oh 35 years football in Belleville and he was a he was considered a well he was a great coach yeah. and uh, yeah so he and I kind of learned at the same argued about it constantly <laughs> but anyway yeah it was good so three three kids in your family three uh, two. Uh, yeah my brother older brother pat myself and my sister mary and all three of us became teachers right. high school teachers so like me you had the opportunity to uh teach with your sister i did yeah can you talk about sister cardi a little bit oh yeah uh well sister cardi we always my brother and I got abused her through her youth, but uh, we, we were really not 
uh, as kind to her like we would always say to Mom, Mary, shut up, and stuff like that. <laughs> but she was always, and I suppose we half resented it, she was the best student in the, in the, in the family by miles. And, uh, uh, yeah, and she was, she was uh, you know, joined the, the order of uh, the, the Notre Dame con- uh, order. And, uh, yeah, and she was such a good person. And, uh, uh, and yet, she, when she came to Ricci, she had a little, she found some of the boys. She had a hard time with them and so on. And, uh, you know who her savior was? You won't believe this. Went in and spoke to the kids and said to them, enough of this. I've heard you're not very nice to Sister Cardi, and I, I'm not going to stand for it. was Jamie Turcotte. <laughs> <laughs> the class she was having trouble with, and she said, Jamie gave them a pep talk, asked her to leave while he did it. She said, I don't even know what he said. <laughs> what she said, when I come back, they were a whole lot nicer <laughs> than, uh, than uh, they had been before. And so... Uh, for her, the, the person who helped her get off at Regi and do well was Jamie Durgott, not, not me. So. <laughs> um, and she formed, uh, I remember when I was there as a student, uh, she had formed the Regi Helps Universal Missions. Yes. I think she was part of the formation of that, is that correct? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. And she, that was always her, her calling. And uh, there's Cardi House in Ottawa, which was named after her because she had a real affinity for uh, helping immigrants, from, especially those from South America and so on. And one of the reasons that like, her teaching career didn't last long, she had polio, both of us did, as youngsters. But I, I didn't have the same after effect that she did. One of her legs was turned and uh, she had to have one of her feet operated on about every five years. And it got so she just could not stand to teach. And, and that's basically one of the reasons she gradually left teaching. She couldn't, she couldn't do it physically. And uh, yeah, so. She would have left maybe the mid 80s then? Uh, I'll guess that that's correct. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not actually sure. And did she go to Ottawa then? She went to Ottawa, yeah. Okay. And she, uh, she worked in. Uh, in, in with, uh, as I say, with immigrants in Ottawa. And she, they had a house where people used to come and stay until they could get housing and, and get, and their, their uh, uh, vocation, I guess, was to teach them the language and teach them how to manage and help them get jobs and so on. So, uh, and that, my sister just loved that. She loved doing that kind of thing. And, uh, she loved the order, and she loved the people that uh, she serviced, you know. One of my sons, Jeff, used to look, like to go up and spend the time there with and, and get to know what Mary was doing. And, uh, yeah, he, he became quite attached to, to uh, my sister. So. And you say, you say there's a house dedicated to her or named for her? Well, it's named after her, Carney oh, House. Nice. It's now, it was run by the nuns, and now it's run by, I think, the lay people now more than any other. But they do the same sort of work today. Interesting. As they did then. So. I, didn't, I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so you, you're at Regi until 1994? Uh, that sounds... Well, there, thereabouts? In, somewhere in the 90s, were you, yeah. Were you 
You were part of the first migration to Holy yeah, Cross. Yeah, and we weren't. I mean, you can imagine. I, I had, I had taught at Regina uh, at that time. I was I had taught twenty four years there. I had been there as a student. Uh, the place was pretty much in my, in my blood. Uh, we were moved out to uh, Holy Cross, and and I wasn't happy about it. I. I that's just the way it is. They transferred us there. I guess they felt there was a need for us there, but I don't think we were ever as effective there as we were at Rigi, but, uh, and yet that's no reflection on the Holy Cross kids at all. I thought the Holy Cross kids were, I taught a lot of really good kids there too, and, um, and so on. They used to kid me. They used to say when we they would play football against Rigi, they would all say, oh, we know who you're cheering for. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, what do you expect? <laughs> yeah. I said, I had a son playing for Rigi. I said, you don't expect me to go out and cheer against my son, uh, kind of thing. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. That was all fine. So, uh, Yeah, I, I think it would, without dwelling too much on that, um, struck me at the time that um, they were treating perhaps treating people as interchangeable parts without acknowledging um, that there were teachers who had been students. And there was a lot of those people, for sure. Um, uh, Mr. White, Mr. Halligan, yourself. Um, Mr. Bouvier. Mr. Bouvier. Uh, Mr. Murphy. Who, who had, who, yeah, Sean Murphy later Sean on. Murphy. Yeah, later on. Uh, who had the place in their blood, um, and and it just wasn't going to be the same for them at another place. It, they weren't going to be no. the same teachers. And there's a story you probably know it there that we somehow well wound up in portables at Holy Cross eventually, out and was a portable wing out there, and it was all the old Rigi guys, Bouvier and Murphy and all of us were out there, and uh, one of them came up with a, a name for the for the, the wing, they called it the Dodi Fayed wing. And if you watch the crown and all, you know, Dodi was always felt as it was always an outsider. Eh? Right. And I guess that's, that was the sort of the theme of the thing that, that we were always kind of these odd ducks in a way and, uh, and uh, so on. And, and I don't know why that, anyway, Dodi Fayed wing. <laughs> I think I know where that came from, but anyway, or yeah, who, I, who it came from. I know who it came from, too, <laughs> I want to incriminate someone else. Um, so you, you retired then from teaching in... Uh, oh God, I, as I say, I'm no, I was 57, so when was that? 1942 plus 57. 05? 2005? Maybe, that, that sounds about right. That sounds about, well, I've been reti retired for 25 years. So. Yeah. It's about somewhere in there. Yeah, that, and that time, that time slips away now too, right? Um, yeah. With 05. You've been retired 25 years. I won't do the math. Well, at it, least that. It'll take too long for me to do the math yeah. on that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm going to ask you maybe some, I'd like to think of them as rapid fire questions. We'll see. Um, we'll see if they end up being rapid fire responses. Uh, <laughs> Best athlete you ever saw at Rigi? My son, Paul. Uh, I hate to say, well, no, I don't hate to say that. I love to say that. 
And, and of course, my kids are adopted, eh? so I can't claim bloodlines for all. <laughs> he was a much better athlete than I ever was. And, um, yeah. All right. Favorite course to teach? I love teaching English, but I also love teaching religion. So whatever I was teaching, I, 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 I put all I had into it anyway, I thought. Specific course, though, to teach? Uh, grade 13 English, I think. All right. At the time. Favorite uh, novel to teach? Oh my God! Um, I'm surprising you. There's no prep for these ones. I'm sorry, Tom. I'm, huh? I'm surprising you with these. There's no prep for these, so. No, no, no. Oh my God! There's so many. Um, uh, I love Dickens. I don't know if the kids did, but I did. Um, oh God! I, I, I I'm. Lost now to say. Okay. Uh, favorite Shakespearean play to teach? Macbeth. I love teaching Macbeth. Macbeth is the Garden of Eden all over again. And it's, uh, you know, a man is corrupted and then he becomes the corrupter. And that's part of growing morally worse, is not only are you made decisions that are morally bad for you, pretty soon you're influencing other people. And, uh, and then one of the things that Macbeth, never a play where the character loathed himself so much as at the end, and sort of say that's, that's a consequence of a life where you live against your own principles. You end up loathing yourself, yourself. And uh, yeah, I, I, thought that, I thought that was great enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, favorite poem to teach? Oh God, you're again, you're sticking me here. Um, Elliot's the, the, the Magi. Journey of the Magi? Journey of the Magi, yeah. Set down this, set down this. Yeah, this, set down this, yeah. Yeah, I like, I like doing that. I like doing it around Christmas time. Yeah. Or, or on the return from, uh, from the Christmas break, because yeah. it was always the feast. Yeah. I actually have made, and I'll give you these, I made up a bunch of slides that I would, intended to pass on to other teachers about, and one of them is, uh, you know, uh, about the poet, the good Christian poems are uh, good, and I have, you know, I have a, slides on that, about what it was about, and I actually go through, put up the, uh, the actual words of the poem, and that kind of thing on the slides, and uh -huh. I did that for a number of things, and sort of thought, well, I'll pass them on to people who, I, I've given them on to a couple of people who, who use them in classrooms and so on. I'll give you, I have one in my pocket here and prepared to sure. pass on. Um, biggest change in education you saw over your time as a teacher? Uh, I don't know how to say this without offending people, but uh, in the 50s, there was so much more certainty about uh, our faith. Um, there was so much more discipline. Um, I remember, I recall as a student, you know, the, the Jesuits were, they were disciplinarians. In fact, kids who they got in trouble at other places were sent there to straighten them out, and they were good at that. And uh, I, I just sort of thought, uh, as time went on, we, we lost that uh, kind of, and, we, and they, we seem to lose uh, uh, 
you know, the same kind of uh, influence on the student as we once had. And, and, and now, of course, we're at a stage where political correctness, you can't even mention things that are, that are, uh, that are Catholic, you know. If you, if you went in there and said, I'm going to teach, well, I'd hate to try to teach the morality course today in a Catholic high school, I'm sure I'd be strung up. Uh, I'd probably be on the CBC News. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. Um, maybe um, just to back up even further, so we dealt with you from high school through um, what about the neighborhood you grew up in? Uh, I grew up in the war times, wartime housing, and uh, the best education in next thirty <laughs> that there is, and and with the Lavallies and and uh, the Cairnses and uh, the Dorries. These are all people, the seniors. Um, these are all hockey players and good ones too, but. Just the whole culture. I mean, I mean, we used to play. It was certainly a, I hung around with you know boys, I suppose, but we played tackle football in in oh Kingsquare Park. It's so such that so hard that when I got to Regime, the equipment was easy because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of tough guys there. and. Um, and you learn lessons. Like I remember playing. I don't know where I used to go over to the rink out over at the park here and play and sometimes I'd be the only one on the ice and two guys came along they were older than I was and they decided to play and I played against them and I was maybe 14 and pretty good at the time well I could beat them like 12 nothing or something and I wasn't I was kind of I guess I showed a lack of respect for them as hockey players and when it was over the one guy walked up to me and I thought he was going to compliment me on my plan, and he punched me in the face so hard. I, oh my God, I, I'm, I think of it now and I shudder, you know. And I got thinking, you know what, I can't ask for that. Uh, I was disrespectful. And uh, uh, I didn't see that at the time, but uh, uh, I believe it's true. You learn those hard lessons that, uh, you know. Yeah. So wartime housing, just for, for those who aren't aware, would be what we now call uh, Kingscourt area. The Kingscourt area. Yeah. And, and that league found its own literally. Yeah. Mr. Lavalley was yeah. the one who started that, yeah. and Jim McLaughlin, and, and got us all to do something. And everybody on the street, my, my sister Mary kept score up there for years. Yeah. She was the official scorekeeper. Uh, Morris Murphy across the road umpired every game, every night, uh, kind of thing. And uh, again, I, I uh, coached teams there. I coached uh, baseball teams. I umpired first for a year and decided I didn't really want to be that unpopular all the time. <laughs> so I could go. And, and so, uh, yeah, we, we were, oh my God. And the Valley's coach, and, and I coached against all my buddies. They all coached other teams, so we were very competitive. Yeah. And the chip drives. I remember the the potato chip oh, drives. Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Lavalley used to. It's Ron Lavalley, by the way. Um, for those keeping score, uh, used to run a chip drive every year. My dad would help him with that. My dad was the umpire in chief for for a little while in the in the KBA, 
that was KBA when it was Kings Court Baseball Association, uh, right. and it morphed into Kingston Baseball Association. Right, even though there were kids from everywhere, yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was situated in, in the Kingston area exclusively at that time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and uh, oh my God, the mothers were fantastic. They would everything, you know, anything, any fundraiser like that, they were right there. And uh, yeah, I have. Oh my God! Great affection for Mrs. Dory and Mrs. Lavallee and all those people. They were wonderful. My own mother—they were—they were just great. Uh, we would—we would do. Uh, they would have days where they baked goods there and so on and so forth. It was, it was pretty wonderful. It's another one of those things where where kids were given some ownership of it, right? You were expected to do the the chip drives, and you weren't just going around. You know, no. selling lottery tickets or, or well, raffle exactly, tickets or whatever. Exactly. You, were, you were selling a product, and Absolutely. and it was a whole community effort, right? Absolutely. Uh, Joe Hawkins, who he was a big man in the Kings Court Little League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them. So yeah. that's funny when you mentioned Joe Hawkins uh, and, and Don Peterson in the same interview. Those were two guys that were very hard to say no to. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Don just because it was expected if he asked you you just did it and I, I didn't know I didn't know Pete that well uh, I have to be honest with you I never was a St. Yeah. Pat's guy or and I never played bitty basketball but I got to know him a little bit later on and and Joe Hawkins just because he was so persistent <laughs> well Joe got in fact that's how I ended up with the ponies coaching the ponies all those years the senior baseball team here Joe Hawkins asked me to do it yeah. and uh, how do you say no to Joe <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah busy busy guys busy yeah. guys if you want something done, give it to someone who's busy, I guess is the old yeah. adage. Yeah. Um, tell, me, uh, tell me a little bit about what your boys are doing. Both of them Regi grads as well? Yeah, uh, well, the one, Paul, the, the good athlete, he's an RCMP officer. Uh, he's stationed in Milton, has been there for about 20 years. And my oldest boy, Jeff, he's the guy, he's 6'5". He's a guy that uh, uh, sort of repeated my high school career. Um, he was a so-so student, not much of a student, didn't like it, passed every day. <laughs> and today he's teaching in a community college in Colorado. He teaches outdoor ed and uh, um, that kind of thing. He teaches, uh, what is it, um, when you go out and you, you Measure the snow and see what there might be an avalanche. Okay, yeah, yeah. And he used to do broadcasts. We used to get them uh, on YouTube all the time. Jeff doing his broadcasts from the slopes in, uh, in, in Missoula, Montana at the time. So, uh, yeah, he's teaching in Colorado now. And uh, Was he in BC for a while though first? He was in BC. Okay. Uh, he lived in. Uh, the Sulcan Valley in BC for a while, and then he slowly, it was out because of the teaching, he ended up teaching in different places. He's taught in South America. Uh, he went to school, he went back to school and got his master's actually in, in uh, Edinburgh, the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. So he's been all over the world. He's been to uh, uh, the concentration camps in Germany, and uh, he, he, amazing person actually, and uh, will tell you that you know when you're there. And I've read this other places, but he he, he said you can feel the evil, and that uh, you, you have a sense of it. 
Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he's a good teacher because he he, uh, he knows what it's like to struggle sitting too. Well, uh, that was another thing. Kids were telling me that you had to have a a 94 or 95 percent average to get into concurrent education, which which I at Queens, which I thought was this was years ago. I thought was ridiculous. Um, because a lot of the 94, 95% students would have no idea what it was to struggle with a subject. No. And, and the kids who were the best teachers are those who've had issues themselves dealing with a, a subject or with school itself. You know, they understand, have an empathy, a, a greater empathy for, for the struggling student. Um, and I always thought that was a bit backward on the part of the faculties of education to, to be requiring that high a standard and perhaps an inflated standard for for teachers now i know there's difficult otherwise to find some kind of criteria for allowing them in other than marks because that's the main thing right but it just seemed a bit i don't know counter um productive i think it is yeah not not that i want to uh uh you know display a prejudice against the kid who's 90 or 95 percent or whatever whatever that's you need those too but uh you do need people who who can can have some empathy for the as i say for the struggling student you need and you need a balance of uh dare i say men and women these days in the school yeah. um, you need a balance of those you need you need married women or mothers themselves there you you desperately need that I think and if you if you don't have that uh, you know it, it's it becomes to me I'm not I, I have zero interest in uh, in um, you know producing 99% uh, students only and Rigi did very well by the way one year we they used to have tests in English and uh, uh, where each school would send three members, each of them, the two, the two Catholic schools and the public schools and so on, they had it, and they, and they did the test sight readings, and they did poem, uh, and analyzing a poem and literature and so on and so forth. And they produced the results, and of the top five, three of them were from region. So I thought, well, hey, that's it. We're doing a pretty good job. Yeah. And, uh, so we were doing that, and I believe that's strong because I think there's a real value in it for itself, instead of what you're using it for. Yeah. Is uh, I believe education should should change you as a person, not necessarily just prepare you for some career. I I, I would hope that and give you uh, what we were talking about a while ago, uh, a lifelong desire to learn. I, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, I I found that more and more in kids parents and unfortunately in some teachers that uh, it was well what good is this going to be what why do I need to know when am I ever going to have to know um, trigonometric ratios I'm sure I got that wrong but when am I going to when am I ever going to use that in real life uh, when am I ever going to need to understand Hamlet in in my career and I thought you know I can understand that coming from kids because yeah. immaturity, right? You're you're leading them along a path, and they're not really going to know what what good it is, and they don't understand. But for parents, and then for other teachers to say, "Well, you know, that's a bit dated. What good is that going to be?" 
becomes a very utilitarian approach to education and uh, a very limiting one, I think, uh, for understanding yeah. what, what yeah. human, human beings are and what they're supposed to be about. Like one of the key, one of the, it sounds simple, but get over yourself. Yeah. It isn't always about you. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, that kind of thing. And I, I'm sure we, um, you know, I used to say to my kids, you know, they, you know what am I getting in the church? Well, maybe you weren't supposed to give, maybe you're supposed to give something here. Yeah. Do you ever think about that? And, and of course they would, and, well, here, here comes the old man. <laughs> but no, they were, they, they, I sense that they've, uh, you know, Michael Carty once told me, you know, you never know what you have until you're, you're ki kids, you know. I was telling him one time he ought to be proud of his kids. He said, oh, I am, I am. But he says, you never know who, what you got until they're 40 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get some sense of what sort of people they are. And, and both my sons are now, one is, 45 and the others uh, 49. You you and you have a sense of, of who they are. And they're yeah. good in their mind. Enormously proud to know, uh, kind of thing. And, yeah. uh, but you didn't. You wouldn't have said that. You wouldn't have seen them that, that way when they were right. 16, 17. Yeah. I mean, Paul could be ornery as old get out eh, when he was a teenager, but today he's he's a dad now. Yeah. And, and, you know, you learn a lot being a dad. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, I, and the yeah the the that approach to education that it has to somehow be immediately useful, or you have to be able to point to where it's going to be useful in the future. Just uh, to me, it's just inhuman. It it just doesn't it, it just doesn't um, resonate at all with humanity. We're not we're not little pieces of well, we used to say you're supposed to be educating the whole person. Yeah. And only one part of that is the intellect. That's only one part of it. Yeah. It's, it's you know the social person, the, the spiritual person, that kind of thing. We're supposed to be educating that too, and, and providing opportunities for growth. You know. Yeah. That uh, kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I remember. You remember when we used to actually have, and this is going to sound like, I don't know how it's going to sound, but we used to belong to prayer groups. Some of the staff members we used to belong to prayer groups among ourselves, and what a tremendous thing that was, and how you got to have, or I did anyway, and I learned so much from fellow staff members and different people that, uh, and I don't mean in an academic sense. It's just how to be a, a better human being, a better person than than you would have been otherwise. Yeah. And that's one of the things when people say, "Oh, you know, why you think you're better?" No, no, no. That is what it's about. It's not. That I'm better than you. It's just that I'm better than I would otherwise be yeah. if I was educated differently. I guess. Yeah. So you mentioned Mr. Pluard before. Um, who would, other than Mr. Pluard, uh, who would have been a main influence on your on your teaching career? Father Paul Bellamy. Okay. I have his picture right behind me. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Okay. When I left the school. I think it was Sean Roberts who listened to me in the staff room in different places. Presented me with two bookends, and one had Mr. Pluard's picture on it, and the other had Father Paul Bellier. Ah, okay. And uh, I've treasured them ever since. And I didn't. I was so overcome with that. I didn't. I suppose Sean must have thought he didn't think much of those, uh, but I did. And uh, yeah, they're. Uh, I look at them all the time, and uh, yeah. That's they were men of depth and, and totally different people. 
Yeah. Poor was such a measured uh, man and such a uh, man in total control. Our father Bellier was was a man of um, passion, somewhat, and uh, but deeply. Fed. He he. I don't know the story of Father Bellier. Have you got time for me to tell? Yeah, you absolutely. absolutely. Father Bellier was was my Latin teacher, my, and he taught an English course and a religion course that I had at the time. He was also our midget hockey coach at the time, and uh, during a practice, and we used to have our practice, and he would have uh, priest friends out there. Father Brady would be out there, or he was, uh, Tom Brady, I think he was a scholastic at the time, and uh, Father Gaisley was once on the ice scrimmaging with us and so on and so forth. So it was a, that kind of thing. And in one particular practice, Father Bellier just suddenly he stopped striding and just he started to coast. And what had happened is he'd had a heart attack. And he fell on the ice in the memorial center, I remember to this day. And had to call an ambulance and so on. And anyway, to make the story fast, he, he died. Uh, you know, my favorite teacher and uh, a, a terrific coach and a terrific mentor. He, he, I never saw him again. And uh, uh, I can remember him, him on the ice, like taking these enormous breaths and then suddenly collapsing. Like, hmm. you know? and it was kind of a, a, I can still see it to this day, yeah. uh, kind of thing. And then his funeral, if God, if Father Brady doesn't get, he's out of town or something coming, Father Brady doesn't get killed coming to the funeral. And uh, the funeral was held at the cathedral, and I never saw um, a service as, you know, all the students there, everybody. And, and God, if a person looks exactly like Father Bellion, it turns out he had a twin brother. Oh, really? Who's also a priest. Wow. From a different order, coming down the thing, and I thought, oh my God, the resurrection actually happens, uh, kind of thing. But yeah, Father Bellier was, was uh, you know, a lifelong influence, and uh, his name was Paul, by the way. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, he, uh, he was all, he was, a, he was a man's man, too, in, in every way. But, and I remember thinking, and we were told, I don't know what was to make us feel better, but yeah, he died of a heart attack, but he also had, I don't know if you knew, they, I don't know who told us, it's a priest, one of the priests, he also had cancer, and he was struggling with cancer, and, and I can remember times going by the chapel, and he'd be in the chapel, on his knees praying, and, uh, you know, yeah, stuck with me. Yeah, for sure. Um, how about... Uh uh, influential teaching colleagues. Oh God, many, many. Give me three, four. Four. Without living. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, well, I was a colleague, Mr. Torres too, and uh, Bob Bouvier, Frank Halligan, Frank Coffey, all those guys. Uh, Blaine Barkley, all those guys. Yeah. Uh, were wonderful men, and I and and I don't want to exclude women either because there was a lot of real terrific uh, uh, women teachers. Um, Alice Gaisley. She was a good teacher, a good person. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, obviously my sister who 
I always defer to as far as smart also. Yeah. Um, Oksana Hewitt, I don't know if you remember her. Uh, very well. When I was in Students Council, um, Sister there, she was uh, Oksana was the moderator of our students council that year until uh, her daughter was born. Okay. She was, I think, her daughter was born maybe in March, and then yeah. someone else, yeah. uh, Mrs. McGarrity, took over for uh, for Mrs. Hewitt yeah. with the students council after that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you remember Sister Sergson. I don't. Uh, she wasn't there, but my brothers remember. My brother Gary oh, remem uh, remembers her very well. She she was, I think, the students found her. She was so smart. And she could verbally tear you apart. <laughs> and you never wanted to get in an argument with her because you'd lose. Yeah. She was just like that. Eh? Yeah. And sharp as all get out. And a wonderful person. And I remember when they were saying one time, uh, they were going to hire a vice principal. And somebody said, well, what are the, you know, what are the qualifications? And they listed all the academic qualifications. And then they said, had to be a leader, had to be an intellectual all these sorts of things, and Sister Searson was sitting there in her manner, uh, and she put up her hands, she said, uh, well, since uh, we're not expecting the second coming for some time, and Mr. Pluard doesn't want the job, <laughs> who could possibly fill up that post? And I remember, oh my God, I thought, that's so Sister Searson, the funniest person. And you remember Joe Pryor? Very well, yeah. Joe Pryor was a huge, huge influence, too. I mean, I'm embarrassed that I forgot him. He was a terrific yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, Mr. Zerickney and I dealt with uh, a little bit with Mr. Pryor last, uh, yeah. and in my uh, interview with, with Mr. Zerickney a couple of years ago. Uh, it gave me my poorest marks. Not gave me, I earned my poorest marks oh, in English from Mr. Pryor. Um, but uh, not a man I ever wanted to disappoint. That was no. That he, was, was, he was like that. yeah. And Remember, I don't know if you recall him discussing someone and said if you could wade through his deepest thoughts and not get your ankles wet. <laughs> I used that my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there were little little uh, priorisms. Priorisms, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. No, uh, yeah, that would have been, he would have been a major. And actually, I went to see him uh, in the hospital to, the day before or two days before he died. Okay. And he was recommending books to me. Recommending oh, he did to me. Uh, too. Authors that I should read. And, and uh, I'm embarrassed that I couldn't name a top novel because he was always uh, getting me to read books. Yeah. Different things. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, well, you know what, Mr. Curdy? I think. That's lots. As I said to Mr. Zerickney, we'll have to do this again because I'm sure there's more for us to cover. But my ac my computer is actually running out of memory, or this program that I have is running out of memory. So I think I'm going to have to uh, have to stop things unless you have any any closing no, no, remarks no, no. here. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed every minute of this. Yeah, this has been fun. It's been fun for me for sure. Um, and uh, I promise it won't be another two years before I do another podcast. Uh, I have some other topics, some other uh, subjects in mind. And uh, thank you so much, Mr. Cardi, for giving up your time this Saturday morning. Well, thank you, Pat. All right. I enjoyed that, Pat. You know me, I always love to talk. <laughs> That's what uh, Neil Gaisley, or Neil Gaisley, Neil Naismith.